Connect Church, how are you? I scare you there a little bit? A man and his wife were enjoying a glass of wine after a hard day's work. They're sitting on their deck just having a ball, enjoying a glass of wine, calming down. All of a sudden, the woman said, I love you, and I don't think I could ever live without you. To which the husband said, is that you or the wine talking? To which the wife said, it's me, and I'm talking to the wine. (laughs) The woman was obviously very passionate about her wine. I would love to ask you, if I could, what are you passionate about? What is the thing that you wake up on Monday going, yes, this is what I'm passionate about? Now, because we're in church, you would be tempted to lie. You would be tempted to say what every person in church should say, not necessarily what is true. And what should churchy people say? They should say, God is important to me, my family's important to me, work is important to me, those kinds of things. And yet, if we could spend a day together, if we could spend a week together, we could really determine not what you say you're passionate about, but really what you really, really are passionate about simply by looking at three C's in your life. The first one is your conversations. You show me what you talk about when you don't have to talk about work or details or organization or all the things that take up our lives. And you get to speak out of the abundance of your heart because Jesus said, From the mouth, that's where the heart speaks, from the mouth. It comes out of the heart, through the mouth, and you can tell what's on somebody's heart by what they talk about, your conversations. The second C would be your checkbook. You show me your checkbook, I'll show you what you're passionate about. The third C would be your calendar. We all have a very limited amount of time. I mean, each of us has 24-7, right? So what gets into our calendar really is what we consider important. So here's, here's just before I even go any further, some of you are going to go to lunch, you're going to go home to lunch, and you need to have this conversation. Here's the question I would like you to ask after church today. Maybe in your small group or maybe in your neighborhood, what do those three C's say about our lives? What what do those three C's say about our priorities, what we're passionate about? Do those three C's tell us what our lips want to say? God, our family, and whatever else you want to put in there. So the question I think that we do wrong in American church is this. What are we passionate about? What are we really fired up about? Friends, When you decided to receive Christ as your Savior, and if you haven't yet, I still want you to hear this because I want you to hear what someone who follows Jesus lives like. This is huge. Because the question that we're always asking is, what what kind of life do I want? But if I understand the cross of Jesus Christ, right, and the blood that he shed and paid for us, 1 Corinthians says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So when we are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, he saves us because our sins doomed us, and he saves us through the blood and the cross and the resurrection. 
The wrong question is, now what can I do with my life? The right question is this. What does God want me to be passionate about? To see, to follow Jesus Christ means that it doesn't matter about you anymore. This is not about you. This is about what Jesus commands us to do. This is about following Jesus. By definition, to follow Jesus means you can't follow you. Sorry, American Christian people who love to do everything we want to do and then call it blessed by Jesus. To follow Jesus means you don't follow you anymore. You gave that right up. Now, here's the question. What's the life God has always wanted us to have? Not what life do you want to have. We already know that. Check it out. It's in America. We know. But what does God, what kind of life does God want you to have? What does God want you to be passionate about? Or as I've said, the title today will be The Life God Has Always Wanted You to Have. But I don't know if you'll embrace it. Well, I got great news. God hasn't left us wondering about the life he's always wanted us to have. He's written a book that tells an awesome story. And he tells us exactly the life he wants us to have. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 12. The book of Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, crazy. This is the last week of Jesus' life in Mark chapter 12. They want to kill him. Here's something Jesus never said. Follow me and everybody will love you. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. So I try to keep somebody ticked off at me at all times just to be biblical. <laughs> stay with me, people. Stay with me. The Sadducees want to kill him. The Pharisees want to kill him. The po political leaders want to kill him. And they are trying to trick him into saying stuff that they can kill him for. But man, you never want to get into a theological debate with a ninja like Jesus. He will own you. He will cut you off at the knees. You will be just sitting there going, why did I even debate Jesus? It is such a losing proposition. But they do it anyway. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came to him and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given the Sadducees a good answer, this teacher of the law asked this question. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? I love this question. This is a man question. This is not a woman question. This is a man question. Just tell me what to do. I've said that to my wife. Just tell me what to do. See, in Jesus' time, the big debate they had actually codified, the, the uh, religious people of Jesus' day had codified the Old Testament, now listen to this, into 613 different commands and laws that needed to be obeyed. 613. Can't do 613 people. Sorry, I just can't do it. Because I'm a man. But I love this question. It's a, man, it's a masculine question. Which one? is the most important. I can aim for that, but I can't get all 613. My wife explained this to me. We celebrate 26 years this Wednesday, and my probation officer said it would never last. In your face, probation officer. That's Jesus. Jesus did it. Now watch this. 
my wife came home and she says, I figured out why you guys can only think of one thing at a time and why women can think of many things. We can totally multitask. I said, what happened? How do you know? She said, I was listening to Focus on the Family and they had like a specialist in there when God is forming a child in a mother's womb to be a male child, she said, a shot of testosterone goes right to the brain and kills the brain cells. <laughs> it's true. She said, my wife announced to me, you have brain damage. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> what one is most important? That's all I want to know. Of all the commands, which one is most important? Watch what Jesus says. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Shema Israel, Adonai Elhenu, Adonai Echad. That's how they would have heard it. Because he, he would have been quoting Hebrew scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's called the Shema. Want to learn a Hebrew word today? Say Shema. Shema. Say it loud. Shema. It's actually spelled H. Excuse me, S-H-E-M-A. It's like Shema, but they run it together. Shema. It's the Hebrew word here. And that's the first word in the passage. Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel. Adonai Elheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a weird, that's a weird, that's a weird response. Of all the commands, which one is the most important? But everybody in the sound of Jesus' voice would have understood immediately, because they were all Jewish people, they would have understood he was quoting the Shema, which was Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now listen to this. They said it at least twice a day. It was a series of passages from the Old Testament, starting with Deuteronomy 6, and they would stand together, and they would say, Shema Israel, Adonai Elhenu, Adonai Echad. They would say it over and over again, and they would do these three different passages from the Old Testament. I want you to think about, these are the most religious, these are the most educated people, most sophisticated people of Jesus' day, and I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you silly, silly religious people, you silly, silly, sophisticated, educated people, you're asking me out of all the commands, which one is the most important? And I'm going to tell you it's something you say every day, twice a day. It's right underneath your nose. You ever know somebody who's so smart they're not smart? They miss it. They're looking at the I chart, but they don't see the E. Because they, they, you know, they're looking at the lower part. Look at the E. Jesus says, look at the E on the I chart. It's, you say it twice a day. And then he goes on to quote Deuteronomy 6. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And then he says, the second, wait a minute, how many did they ask for? One. But Jesus is going to give them two. The second greatest command is this. Now watch this. Jesus does something crazy that wasn't a part of the original Shema. He diverses, he, 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 he gets away from the original Shema and he says this. You guys know this. It's about loving God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He reaches over to Leviticus 19. This is what rabbis do. It's called stringing pearls. He reaches over to Leviticus 19 because now he's going to let this passage interpret this passage. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, which one of those two commands, loving God, like love God with all you have, and loving people, which one of those is easiest for you? Loving, I love God. Are you kidding? He's perfect. Even when I don't understand him, he does what's best for me. But my assumption is I don't understand it. He's, going, he's still in it. He's, he's good to me. People, 
Did I mention I have seven kids? Did I mention I'll be probably mad at you before you pull out of the parking lot? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's that kind of thing, right? Let's be honest. How many of you have somebody in your life right now who's driving you nuts? Raise your hand. I just want to see you. How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. Church would be great if it weren't for people. I'm all in for God. So Jesus does something that no other rabbi had ever done. He interpreted the first verse by sharing the second verse. Because religious people, you say, you know what you're supposed to do? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul. Well, I do. I pray. I fast. I vote Republican. Blah, 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 blah. I do all this stuff, right? I mean, this is what I do, right? Now think with me for a moment. How silly is all that? If you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch this. Jesus is saying, you can't love God if you don't love people. You can't love God. You're like, well, Bill, that's a little extreme. It's a little heavy. Okay, let me quote First John. How can you say that you love God whom you haven't seen when you can't love people, your brother, whom you can see? I mean, this is an airtight thing throughout all of Scripture, loving God, loving people. This is the life God has always wanted you to have. Watch now. You wake up on Monday and you go, okay, God, I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I feel sorry for anybody in my path today because I am going to love them too. I am a love God, love people machine, and whoever comes within distance of me is going to get God's love. Right? I mean, that's the kind of life God wants us to have. Not just your pastors, not just missionaries, but anybody who claims to... Can you think of a single time in Jesus' life where he wasn't loving God and loving people? Boom, I win. Right? I mean, think about that. That's the life God's always wanted us to have. So would you humor me for a moment? We're right in the middle of my message. I want to do something. Would you stand up for a moment? I'm going to do something that makes you feel so uncomfortable that you'll love your pastor when he comes back next week. I'm going to teach you now. Ready? Somebody's going to say to you, hey, did you go to church today? Yeah. Oh, we had some crazy guy there. And, uh, well, what, what did he say? That's just what I want you to say. I want you to, I'm going to teach you the shema. Are you ready? Take your hands out like this. Don't hit anybody. Love. Say it with me. Love out loud. Love, capital T, the, see the T, good. That's a technical foul if you're in basketball. Here we go. I made these up. If you know sign language, please forgive me. <laughs> Love the Lord. Does that look like an L to you? Your L has to go over this way, people. Over this way. Excellent. Here we go. Love the Lord your W. With, with all, and with all. It's not foot or sandal. And with
Nice. Hold on. Like, don't, like, hey, I memorized a verse today. No. Here we go. Hold on. Start from the beginning, and then I'll teach you the second part. Love. Lord, you're with Excellent. Excellent. Now do this. This is the part that gets creepy. Here we go. Ready? Love, love your, just gently on the shoulder because people don't like to be touched. Some of them. Love your neighbor. Ooh, we touched. Okay, here we go. Ready? Love, I got six daughters. Nobody's touching them. Okay, here we go. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, try the second one again. Love your All right, now, after church, somebody says, what'd you learn at church? I want you to go, I want you to get all ninja. Here we go, ready? Go like this, go. Here's what I learned in church today. Love the God with Good. Your neighbor. High five somebody next to you and sit down, please. You did a good job. Wow. Some of you are going, if you're visiting this church, we do aerobics all the time here. We just, you know, yeah, wait till you get to the book of Leviticus. All hand motions for those. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. What would ever make us want to love God? Think about this. The picture is clear. What is, what's the life God always wanted us to have? Always to live, to wake up and love God and love people with all our heart. That's what the goal of life is. The goal of life is to do that. I've been saved now 36 years, and I'm only 37. <laughs> Shut up, people. <laughs> I've been saved now 36 years. And um, when I first got saved, people said to me, I was 15, so you do the math. Um, so when I first got saved, some people said to me, some people in the church said to me, someday you're going to grow up and you're not going to be so excited about Jesus. Boom. Sorry. Still am. More than ever, right? I mean, it doesn't have to die. That's what I'm saying. That's what people think about their marriage too. Boy, that's why you need Jesus in it. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't have to die. It can get better than ever. And then I'm going to heaven. It can't get much better than that. I'm going to be with Jesus. My future's so bright. I got to wear shades. It is good. And so is yours, right? I mean, it really is. But what would ever make us want to love God? I don't think all of my kids, I've been there their birth, boom, man, every one of my kids has a sin nature. Their mother's sin nature. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and um, I don't think people naturally gravitate toward God because of original sin in our lives. I think because we are sinners. We're, it's Psalm 39, you know, we were born in iniquity. We were conceived in iniquity. I mean, it's just, there's this whole thing of just where we pass on this sin nature because of Adam and Eve. So I don't think we wake up trying to love God. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit, but that whole, the work of the Holy Spirit is centered on 
the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me read a passage for you. No hand motions. But listen. We love, 1 John 4, 19. We love, why? Because we worked it up in ourselves. No. We love because, what? He first loved us. See, our love is a response to his initiating love. And how did God, what's probably the most visible, significant way God shows us his love? Well, there's a lot of ways, but the most visible, significant is what God sending his son to die on the cross for us and shed his blood and raised from the dead on the third day. Because of that truth, when somebody receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, they now have the Holy Spirit living in them and the capacity to love God. So where would you be this morning? This is a sobering question. Where would you be this morning if it wasn't for God's love for you? Some of you born and raised in a Christian family for generations, and I want to say you need to celebrate your Father's Day well. Seriously. If it's come through your generations, what a gift has been given to you. Others of us, like me, not so much. Didn't have it really handed down until later. But it was significant. I shudder to think about where I would be right now. I know I'd be hungover. I know I'd be, I might be in jail. I certainly would be divorced. I might be dead. Because there's a whole history in my journey where people don't live very long because they live wild. My mom was the last of 14 kids, and you thought I had a lot of kids. And we hardly even got to know any of them because they just died so early from living the wildlife. My dad's dad died when he was two because of uh, drunk, drunk and driving. He was the guy drunk. So I think that was the trajectory before Jesus rudely interrupted my life. That was the trajectory of my life. Where would I, no wonder I love God because I've never forgotten where I've come from and I want to challenge you. Your heart should well up with love for God because, you know, I can go back to great, 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 great grandma who whatever. Well, that's great, but I'm telling you something. You still needed to receive Christ as your Savior. Where would you be? Probably anywhere but here. Thank God. God. Doesn't that cause you to reflect and love God? I think about how God got a hold of me. I'm just going to keep it brief today. But I want, to, I want to just share with you a little bit what makes me love God a lot. I grew up in the projects, and my mom and dad divorced when I was three, and, and uh, my mom took a job as a bartender. She would, nobody graduated from high school in my family. And, um, and so um, my mom worked as a, as a bartender, and it was at, <laughs> this is going to sound so weird in church, it was at that tavern God intervened in her life. What happened was she had this, she was a single mom living the wildlife. My mom would tell you she's broken every one of the Ten Commandments. She'd be embarrassed about this today. By the way, I know where she's at right now. She's 71. She's in her little Baptist church in our little town where I come from. I guarantee it. Night, she's probably cooking something if I know her for that little church. But back then, she was a wild living bartender. Loved us kids, though. I've always felt loved by my mom. 
But she was a single mom trying to make a living, so she went to work. And the only thing she knew how to do, and that was bartending. She had a good friend named Jerry. Jerry was in the exact same situation. Single mom, couple of kids. Both of them live in the wildlife. After a couple of years, Jerry was able to get a vacation, but she didn't have any money. My mom's best friend was Jerry. So she went to visit her sister. But she didn't know that her sister had recently accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And the whole time she was visiting her sister, her sister told her about Jesus, told her about how much God loved her, how much sin separates us from God, how Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood and rose again the third day, and that Jerry could find what she's looking for, not in the bottom of a glass of beer, not in the bottom of, a, of a, you know, the, the, the pit of all the crazy things she was doing, but through a relationship with God. And Jerry received Jesus Christ as her Savior. Her sister didn't have much time with her, so she got her reading the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. And Jerry fell in love with the Jesus of the Bible, not the white American one that we have, but the Jesus of the Bible. And when she came back to that tavern in our hometown, she marched in from that first day of vacation, and she announced to my mom, all the guys getting drunk there, and the boss, I quit, she says. <laughs> they go, what'd you do? You go on a vacation, find another job? She goes, I don't have another job. I don't know what we're going to do. But I'm not working here anymore because I found what I was looking for. I tried to find it in men, couldn't find it in men. Tried to find it in alcohol, couldn't find it. I tried to find it in partying and drug and wildlife. Couldn't find it in anything, but I found it. They said, well, what is it? She said, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they said, oh, my goodness, you are a Jesus freak. She said, yeah, but it doesn't matter. I quit. And she said, the boss said, you can't quit. you got to give us two weeks' notice. And Jerry said, I'll honor that two weeks' notice, but every time somebody asks me why I'm leaving, I'm going to tell them about Jesus right here in the tavern. And they said, you go ahead. Two weeks, that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. Man, she was telling everybody about Jesus. My mom's best friend, oh, my goodness, my mom hated her now. Darkness runs from the light. My mom hated Jerry now, didn't want anything to do with Jerry. At the end of that two weeks, my mom was like, good, this Jesus freak can leave the tavern and we can all get back to our darkness. About every two or three days, though, Jerry's car would pull into the housing project where we lived and she would come up to our door, knock on the door, and we would close the windows and lock the doors and be real quiet and act like we weren't home. My, she came over so often, my sister and I developed a game called Hide from the Jesus Freak. It began when Jerry pulled into the parking lot and we pulled the shades. One day, Jerry got to the door. She would not give up on my mother. One day, Jerry got to the door and she, we couldn't lock it in time, so we let her in. My mom said this, let's let Jerry in to hear what she has to say and then ask her to never come back again. That was my mom's approach. So Jerry came in. She was carrying a black book. We didn't know what it was. Jerry had been saved probably three or four weeks by now. And they sat. This is all I remember about that meeting as a little boy. They sat around our little kitchen table in the projects. That black book went open. Jerry talked to my mom about Jesus. They both drank coffee, and they both smoked. And the smoking evangelist led my mom to Jesus Christ. That's the truth. I mean, that is the truth. My mom came to know Jesus Christ. And the truth of this passage of Scripture, right before my very eyes, became vivid. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Friends, I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about the Bible. But I got the best Christian education a kid could ever get. I watched God take my broken mother, save her, begin to heal her heart and her life. And it was so real, I got the impression that every Christian really loved Jesus. And I believed it till I went to church. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was so real. No more taverns, no more running around. She, even my dad picked me up every other weekend because of the divorce. And, uh, and she said, you don't take him to any more taverns. You're not taking these guys to any more taverns. You take them on Sunday? If they're with you, you're taking them to church. I'll just meet them at church. Man, she was like, we're doing this thing, right? So I want you to think about how this rolls. Jerry's sister, now watch it. This is the life God all, all, wants all of us to have. I love that my story has no pastors in it. Regular broken people. And we call that church. Right? Here's Jerry, Jerry's sister. Jerry comes to know Christ. Jerry's sister comes to know Christ. She loves God and loves Jerry. Jerry receives Christ as her Savior. She comes back home. She loves God and loves Porky. That's my mom's nickname. Shut up. We're earthy. Um, <laughs> Jerry loves Porky. Why? She loves God. She loves Porky. My mom loves her kids. So what does she do? She starts telling us. Do you see how this works? Listen, I think sometimes we think if we just grow a megachurch, I'm not anti-megachurch, but what if we just grow a megachurch and that way everybody in the community will know? I don't think that's how they're going to know. I like megachurches. I'm not, bad. I'm not mad at them. They're going to know because you have a way of life. You say, well, I'm not me. I just work a cat or not me. <laughs> This bartender, I'm here because of a bartender who found Jesus. That's why I'm here today. God, you know why God loves to use? You don't let yourself off the hook. I'm putting the weight on you because God does. If I waited for a missionary or pastor to show up at my house, I'd be a Jehovah's Witness right now. <laughs> right? I'm putting the weight on all of us. This is the life God wants all of us to live. Because your pastor to show up at your work and start preaching probably isn't a smart thing to do. But if you go to work and love God and love people, and you do that well enough, you'll get lots of opportunities to talk about Jesus and do good work. I taught public school for seven years. That's what brought me to the area. I never once abused my classroom to do something spiritual in it. I tried to be the best English teacher I knew how to be for the glory of God. And I loved every person I could get. I mean, seriously, love a God today, I'm just gonna love you and love students. Love you and love my colleagues, right? Love you and love the parents of these kids. And it's amazing how in between classes or after school or when I'm at their church on the weekends, you get all kinds of opportunities to talk about Jesus. What would happen if you dared to live like Jerry, the ex-bartender. What would happen if you dared to live like Porky, the ex-bartender? You wake up and go, today, God, I'm going to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength because of what you did for me. You're amazing. You did all this for me. I'm in. 
That's the only response. You did this, I'm in, I love you. And when you fill up with that love, you find it spilling over to your family. You find it spilling over to your marriage. You find it spilling over to your neighbors. You find it spilling over to people that you would probably, you know, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have some of the friends I have today. Do you know what I'm talking about? But because of Jesus, you get there. Who in your life needs to hear your story? Here's the second thing I want to ask you to do. First thing I want you to do is talk about the three C's. Your conversations, your checkbook, and your calendar. What do they say about our priorities? And then I want you to have the guts to make changes. Second thing is I want you to tell your story today. I don't care if everybody in your house has heard it. Tell your story today. You're like, well, it's just me and my wife. Tell your story. Well, it's not a good story. I don't, there's no bartenders in it. Okay, I got seven kids. Which story do I want them to have, mine or yours? I want them to have this story. Born and raised in a Christian home. My dad was a total Jesus freak. So was my mom. They talk about Jesus consistently. They tried to live. We tried to love God and try to love people. They didn't always get it right, but at least they own their crap. Oops, I forgot I wasn't talking to high school kids. Right? Keep it real. Tell your story. I come from a long line of Christians. People who were transformed by Jesus Christ. It started with, go as far back as you can and talk about how it came to your parents and then now to you and then your kids. Tell your story. Romans 12, excuse me, Revelations 12, 11. Ready? Some of you, the devil has taught you not to tell your story. And you don't think you have a story to tell. You gotta tell your story. Why? Roman, uh, Revelations 12, 11. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Tell your testimony. Often, I don't care if people hear it, hear it over and over again. And then let it drive you to love God. God, thank you for saving me. I cannot believe you pulled this kid from the projects and saved me. Sometimes the hardest person is the church kid. So you just like, thank you, Lord. You even saved a church kid. But then the last thing I want to challenge you to do, and I'm coming in for a landing, is I want to challenge you to pray to God for the next 21 days, the disciple maker's prayer. You should have a copy of it. Would you please grab that copy? It says the disciple maker's prayer. And um, it's up here too. But what I want to do is I want, I want to show you why I want, I'm going to challenge you for 21 days straight. I want, and listen, if you have to pray it alone, pray it alone, but it's way better to pray it together. Can I be honest? I got kids who go to high school, kids who go to college, that kind of thing. If I'm up when they're up and we're together and they're not just running right out the door, I pause and we pray this with our kids. Because this is the life I think God wants my kids to have. And I'm responsible to disciple them. And I want to be clear. So this prayer is a way, watch now. Don't you find that you drift? I drift. I drift away from things. But saying this prayer to the point where I've memorized it from my heart draws me back to center like the Shema. That's why they said it twice a day. Draw me back to the center. This is about loving God and loving people. And so I want you to see this. I want, I'm going to explain it to you real quick. And then I'm going to pray it with you. And then when we're done praying, I'll have you stand up at the end, we'll pray it, and then I'm just going to dismiss you to go live this way of life, to embrace 
the life God has always wanted to have. But I'm going to challenge you for the next 21 days. Pray it every day. Pray it by yourself. Pray it together before you go to bed. Pray it around the dinner table. I don't know. Just bring it to the rhythm of your tra- traveling down the road. Just pray it. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived this way of life. He passed it down to us. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path. See, it's just, it, I'm not asking you to build a whole bunch more new friendships. I'm asking you, go to work every day. Be in your neighborhood every day. Be in the, your kids' sports. And while you're there, love the people who cross your paths, but start with your family. It's ridiculous to be such a great Christian at church and in a community, and your kids don't see it in your own life at home. For crying out loud, let's start with our families, but let's not end with our families. It's gotta be bigger than our families. Don't let me miss the adventures they're sending my way to live and speak the good news. It's not just live, it's not just talk. It's live and speak the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ today. Draw my heart to you and to, this is huge, draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. You're just going, God, is there anybody that we need to, you know, just get more time with? Who in my life do we need more time with that we just become friends together and then infect them like Jerry did my mom? She was a friend. By your word and spirit, and it's never on your own merits or own energy, by your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciple makers because that's what we call this. I love God and love people. I help someone else love God and love people. I help them help someone else love God and love people. And if you do that, you'll change the world. Don't believe me? That's what Jesus did 2,000 years later. Here we are. It's the only thing that I know that works. Then it says, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. That's a Latin phrase, over and over. This is what it means. Ad infinitum means over and over again in the exact same way as Jesus. Over and over again in the exact same way that Jesus did it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray it now. But I want you, for the next 21 days, I, how else do I say this? I dirty double dog dare you. I don't know. You know, I want to, I want, if, if, you're, if you're a student here today, one of the children, bug your parents. Don't let them get away from this for the next 21 days. Bug them. Tell them, no, we didn't pray the prayer today, man. Come on, come on, parents. Start discipling me. I want to challenge you for the next 21 days. See if it doesn't grip your soul. And you know what? I think God's going to answer this prayer. I think he's going to transform you. I think he's going to use you in the ebb and flow of your life. What would happen if you in Washington, Illinois, dared to live like this? This city would not be the same. This would be dangerous, man. This would be life-changing. You wouldn't need a big event. It would be a way of life. This, my friends, is the life God has always wanted you to have. Will you embrace it? Stand. We'll say the prayer out loud together and then I'll say you're dismissed. And I want you to go talk about the three C's. I want you to talk about your story. And I want you to pray at some time, even if it's just before bed or over the meal, the disciple maker's prayer outside of church. Ready? Say it with me out loud. As a prayer, Heavenly Father, 
thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word in spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for your time today.